All right. If you will, go ahead and start making your way, Joel, slowly back to your seat. Joel, would you hurry up and sit down, please? <laughs> All right. We'll jump into the passage here in a moment. If you want to follow in your journal, your phone, your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. We are going to go to 1 Peter 3, uh, 13 through 18. All right. I think we're settled. We're ready. Let me pray for us, and then we'll open up the Word of God together. Lord, I thank you for First uh, Peter. It is um, changing and challenging uh, many of us, including me. And Lord, I thank you for uh, just the freedom to come and worship and the, the opportunity to open up your Word. Lord, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, remove the obstacles that might be there. Lord, anything that would distract us so that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. And Lord, may my words fall to the ground that are not of you, and may only what is of you remain. Jesus, you must increase and we must decrease. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, by way of a quick review, last week we looked at, let me back up. So we're going through 1 Peter verse by verse. Because so, I know we've got some people that are here. It's expository preaching, and with expository preaching, as you will see next week, you can't dodge hard passages. But that's next week. So if you might want to look ahead and, and pray for me as I prepare for this one. Um, but you just kind of go through verse by verse, and we're trying to see what is Peter saying to the church at large. Uh, there weren't these breaks of this is chapter 1, this is chapter 2, chapter 3. We did that. Okay, so there was a message that he's presenting to the church. So we're trying to see the theme and see what the message is. And we've been in this um, for, for quite a while. So we're just picking back up. And this is verses 8 through 12 of chapter 3. And last week, here's what we talked about. We said that because of the blessing of the gospel, because of the blessing of what Christ has done, we are called to, if you'll remember this, we're called to bless. Remember that? And to be a... Blessing. We're called to bless and to be a blessing uh, to others. We said that if our hearts and minds truly understand the implications of the gospel, then our response, and that's where we're going, our response to others will reflect it. And our response is reflected by things. This is from the Word. This is not me. It says, through unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, with words, actions, and intentions that are holy, that they're different, they're separate. They're not like what the world would have. There was a lot more that was said last Sunday than that, but that's a, a quick summary that brings us um, back to the passage today. Okay, so today's passage is going to be similar. It's going to be the same topic of what our response to others should look like. And I think I've said this probably 20 or more times, but remember the key to understanding chapters 2 and chapters 3 is the understanding that our behavior, when it's holy, separate, different, righteous, 
it will impact or have an impact on others. When we respond within relationships that exist in a holy manner, people will take notice. For example, when we respond to criticism, slander, persecutions, sufferings in a holy manner, they'll definitely take notice. It's easy to be holy when everything's going well, but how about when someone slanders you or criticizes you or comes against you? How is your response different? How's my response different? How about when suffering comes, what does your response look like? And that's a lot of what Peter's talking about. After next week, we're going to have three weeks worth of just suffering within the Christian life. What does that look like or what can that look like? So it's there within this realm of suffering being done well and in a holy manner, um, not responding the way that the world will respond when you're reviled. It's there that today's passage is going to focus as well. So let's look at 1 Peter 3. We're going to read 13 through 18 together. And then I'm going to do my best to kind of break that down and show you what I think that Peter is trying to say. Here's the word of God. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Back in the 1800s, there was this renowned Scottish pastor, his name, or theologian, his name was uh, Thomas Chalmers. He was a, a pastor as well. But he was trying to teach his students how to mine, M-I-N-E, the scriptures. So he went throughout all of the New Testament and he found what he called a keystone passage for each book in the New Testament. And he was trying to show that this one passage right here holds Matthew together, you know, holds Acts together. And it's, it's, it's a great uh, tool to use. And I've got a friend, Dr. George Grant, he's in Nashville. And he's doing the same thing with his church, except for instead of the whole book, he's trying to get them to learn. Every time they go into a chapter or into a segment of scripture, what's the thing that is holding this together? Okay. And the only reason I bring that up, I talked to Sam several months ago about like, man, we got to do that when we're doing our CBR, when we're doing our Bible reading, because it really is a good practice. And that way you don't kind of get off, you know, on these tangents. And, and these trails, but you can kind of go back and say, here's the central message that he was trying to convey. In trying to do that with Peter, you know, we're back on holiness and, you know, suffering and suffering well. There's a couple of different themes that are there. But when I look at this particular passage, I see what I think is a keystone verse that's going to hold everything else together. And I want you to see it with me. So look at the passage and I want you to see this. I won't read the whole thing again because we're going to walk through the rest of it. But look at verse number 15. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. 
Okay, there's a keystone verse there. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. It's a worldview verse as well. A worldview is the conception or apprehension of the world from a specific standpoint. The lenses through which we view and act or live in the world. Okay, that's what a worldview is. It's how we look at the world. In a Christian worldview, we understand, begins with the gospel. And if you were here on Easter, the gospel, breaking that down to, you know, G, God, the holy, righteous God, and O, the obstacle of sin. And, you know, Jesus, you know, came as a savior. You know, he, he paid for our sins. He took our place. He was a propitiation. He has given us an eternal relationship with him, eternal life. And he did all of that with the L being because he loves us, for God so loved the world. That Christian worldview is the lenses that we look at everything else through. We were talking a few minutes ago with just different people that I've had conversations with this morning about just pain and suffering, no matter what it is. And I'm like, man, I can't imagine not being a Christian. You know, because my Christian worldview says outwardly we're wasting away. Our bodies are decaying, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. It's that Christian worldview, it's that understanding, it's those lenses that quite honestly give me hope on really, really hard days when pain's hard. And you all know what I'm talking about. But it's a Christian worldview, the understanding in this passage that Christ is holy and that Christ is Lord. We must honor him as being holy and as being Lord in our lives that's what is going to hold the passage together. So if you're filling in, I got some spaces in your worship guide, and we're going to kind of go full circle with this. If you're filling in the graphic that's there, okay, point number one, this is the one that's going to bring everything else together, is this. Christ honored as Lord and holy in our hearts. Christ honored as Lord and and holy. So when I look at that, of course, the probably the most important question for each of us would be, for you and for me, is Christ truly set apart as holy and as Lord in my heart? Is he really completely, wholeheartedly on the throne of my life? Do I live for him and for his glory, or do I find myself still living for self? These are the questions we need to be asking ourselves on a regular basis. I don't think it's a one time, yes, I confessed my sins 20 years ago, so he's been holy and Lord every day since then. You know, our hearts are idle factories, and we're so drawn to shiny things, and we have to continually go back to the Lord and remember the gospel and put on those world view lenses. If he isn't Lord and isn't holy in our hearts, then our attempt to live the Christian life will probably come from achievement motivations, trying to do well, you know, trying to do the right things because we like to achieve rather than being for the glory of God. And those motives are completely different. But when our hearts honor him as Lord and holy, our purpose for living is for his glory. And we'll be able to accomplish some things which we will see in this passage. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 again. Okay? 
says, now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Well, stop. I mean, you would think no one, wouldn't you? You know, who's going to harm you if you're trying to do the right thing? Who would, who would do that? Well, it's the same reason that Christ was harmed. Light exposes darkness. When you're doing the right things, it makes other people feel bad, and it makes them feel guilty. And then he goes on to say, but even if you should suffer, which you will, Peter's pretty clear about that, and Jesus was clear about that, for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. In Matthew 5.10, it says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then look what he says next in this passage. This is what I put in red. It says, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Do you see that? Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Because when we have Christian worldview, I put on my gospel lenses, and I'm honoring Christ as Lord and holy in my heart. When I see all of life, people, circumstances, even slander and reviling through those lenses, it can and it could and it should cause this resolve, this meekness that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 5. A peace that passes all understanding that Paul talks about in Philippians 4. And it enables us to, as this passage is talking about, to suffer well for righteousness sake. How can we do that? 2 Timothy 1.7, I probably should have thrown this up on the screen. It's a great passage if you haven't memorized it. It says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind that's at peace because we understand this is why we live. Christ is holy and he's Lord and he's got a purpose and my response should be different. And that changes everything. It's the same language when he's saying, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. It's the same language that Jesus uses in John 14 when he's telling the disciples, I'm leaving, I'm coming back one day. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So going back to our heart, we can see that this peace, this peace, this sound mind is directly related to our honoring Christ as holy and Lord in our hearts. The bigger picture of our calling and Christ's soon return, they have the power to calm our hearts, to make everything okay, for us to respond in a holy way. So if you're looking at your worship guide and you look at PowerPoint slide number two, when we honor Christ as holy and Lord in our hearts, fear is driven away. Fear is driven away. It is supernatural, as is all of Christianity, and it is noticeable to people that are watching the way that we live. The big three questions, do I believe in God? Do I believe that he's a good God? And do I trust him? Those are the big three. With the worldview lenses, because we understand that he is good, that he loved us, that he gave himself for us, it can drive away all of the fear that would be there. He is in complete control. And that is my gospel default. And if I go back to that gospel default over and over and over again, it can, it should, and it will drive out fear. 
Let's continue reading the passage because we're going to see because of this fear being driven away what we can do for the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And look at this. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do so with gentleness and respect. People are coming, and they're asking, why do you have hope? We did a video series last year in community groups. If you'll remember, if you were here, it was called The Gospel Boldness Project. And that title was chosen for the same reasons that we're discussing today. The understanding that when we truly and fully understand the gospel and the call of the gospel, it should produce a boldness within us. When Christ is truly Lord in our hearts, we will speak to him. If he's, if he's Lord in your heart, you will have a communication with him on a regular basis. You will speak to him, but you'll also speak of him. He'll flow from our hearts to others, just like breath flows from our lungs. Why? Because we typically talk about the things that we love. And we talk about the people that we love. If you don't believe that, ask any grandparent. What do you think about? What do you talk about most often? You know, just, just bring up any subject and they will find a way. If you're talking about flowers, they'll begin talking about their grandchildren. If we understand how Christ has given us eternal hope, if we really understand that Jesus loves us and he gave himself for us, if we truly grasp that gospel truth, it has to come from us. It has to come out of our hearts. Okay, before we go back to our, our graphic, I want to look at a couple of things within this particular verse. First, the word defense. Okay, always being prepared to make a defense. The word defense, the word is apologia. Most of you all know that. Um, it's translated here, you know, speech and defense, to defend oneself or to answer or reply. It's being an apologist for the gospel truth. You know, the word apologetics, that's what you're doing. You're defending the Christian faith. It's being able to speak of the basic gospel facts. That's why we give away that tool of the G-O-S-P-E-L, because it's a great way to remind us this is what the gospel is, but it starts with God, okay? But we're able to defend the gospel truth, and we're also able you know, to defend Scripture and to show how Scripture points to there being a one God that has given himself to us through Jesus Christ. Okay, so this word defend, it's articulating and it's defending the gospel. The gospel that brings hope to an unbelieving world that does not know. So there's a lot wrapped up in the word defense. It's partly you sharing your own gospel story with people. Why do you have such hope? Why are you so, much, so different than everyone else? And you're able to share your hope with individuals. Or it can be answering specific questions that people might have. But regardless of which varied approach is taken, it's always going to involve speaking. You can't defend your gospel hope if you don't open your mouth. Yeah. You know, the redeemed of the Lord, Psalm 107.2 says, shall say so. The redeemed of the Lord shall say so. It comes out of our hearts. It's a natural thing. We understand what Christ has done, and it flows out of us. We have to open our mouths. And for many of us that are here, 
that just, that's our prayer. God, give me the boldness. Help me to understand the gospel truth because I need to open up my mouth more. I don't do it as often as I should. But the second thing I want you to notice in this passage is if Christ is honored as Lord in our hearts, and if that truth is lived out before others, that's key, from time to time, maybe not on a daily basis, but from time to time, there will be people who ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. They're paying attention. They see something different in you. They need to see something different in you and in me. They want to know how is it that you're able to treat this difficult boss, difficult boss with respect or continue to love and honor a difficult spouse or to endure persecution or simply be consistently kind. You know, why is that? You just seem to be constant. It doesn't matter what comes your way. Your response is different than everyone else's. And this is where we have to have a hard check. Is my response truly different? Is it holy? That's what it means, separate. Is it set apart? Is it different than others? And it needs to be. It should be. It's Christ living within us. It's the resurrected Christ living within us. And, you know, Jesus says you love people that love you. Well, anybody does that. The heathen do that. My call to you is greater than that. I expect you, because of what I've done for you, I expect you to love your enemies and to forgive everyone in the same manner that you've been forgiven. That's a holy response. And when people see that, they will take notice. They may come like Nicodemus in the middle of the night, or they may just ask you in front of God in the world in the, in the you know, broad daylight. But at some point in time, when you are living holy, when you are responding differently, someone's going to say, why? Where is that coming from? They are searching and they need to see that hope that is in us. Remember um, 1, 3, chapter 1, verse 3, he's called our living hope. Don't you just love that? Jesus is our living hope. And when they do come, we need to be willing to open up our mouths and just speak. And it's really not rocket science. You don't have to go to Grand Bible College and get a Bible degree to be able to share your story of what Jesus has done. I think about like one of my daughters I remember a couple of years ago who was having a, a conversation with a, an atheist professor. And he was asking her some really, really tough questions. And I remember she was just like, I don't know the answer to that, but I know what Jesus has done in my life and began to articulate that. Well, how can you tear that down? Because it's true. I know what I know because Jesus has done it. I don't understand everything about the Bible. Lord knows I don't understand everything about the Bible. Next week's passage has thrown me for a loop. I don't understand it all. Right? Martin Luther says, I don't understand this passage either. We don't have to understand everything about the Bible to know that he's changed our hearts. And we just have to be willing to speak that and share that. And when we do, people will listen. I just inserted this. Shouldn't have. One of our modern day poets, the Christian band, the Newsboys, puts it this way. Gosh, I hope you know this, this song. And I hope it stays in your head the rest of the day. I shall not sing it. But they say, Shine. Make them wonder what you got. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking board. Shine, let it shine before all men. Let them see good works and then let them glorify the Lord. Can you see it? Can you hear that? 
right? That's what we need to do. Because of what Jesus has done, if you're doing CBR, you saw last week Moses goes up before the presence of God and he comes back down and there's such a glory on his face that it's shown to the people, right? We're to shine. Our actions and our responses are to shine. They're to be different and they are to be holy. We won't spend a lot of time here, but this is popcorn, and I do have a couple, a, a, at least one question for you. Honest question. Why is it that Christians can be so timid in sharing or defending our faith? Why? We won't answer all of that this morning, but honoring Christ as Lord and holy in our hearts should be a catalyst for us to be bolder. But I just want to hear from you guys. Somebody tell me, why do we struggle so much with that? We're afraid of what we're going to hear from the, or what we will hear from them. We're not sure what that's going to look like. Carrie? Okay, physical reality distracts, distracts me from the physical reality. What else? Becca? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you haven't walked with the Lord that long, so you don't have like things continually like coming out of your heart. That relationship's not is not as strong. Can we, can I add one more to that? And you've heard me, especially when we talked about sexual stuff. I'm pointing at you, Larry, because we had that conversation. But remember, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But remember, we were talking about like when people when they struggle with an addiction, you know, when they struggle with you know whatever the sin is. I know. Um, what do they do? They run and they hide just like Adam and Eve did, right? Hear me on this church. You've heard me say this like three or four times since I've been preaching here. When we're struggling with sin, we run and we hide from God. And the deeper question is, when you're hiding from God, how often are you going to declare him to others? How often are you going to be just kingdom-centric and he's just going to be flowing out of your hearts and out of your, your mouths? Probably not very often. Do you see that? And this is why we talk about believing the gospel on a regular basis, applying the gospel back to our hearts on a regular basis. Jesus either took all of your sins, Christian, or he took some of them and you've got to pay for the rest of them on your own. Okay. Well, which one is it? Because one of them is going to keep us in bondage because we're a mess. But the other one is going to be liberating. It's going to set us free. And if we recognize, God, I did it again. This struggle that's in my heart or the, what just came out of my mouth or what entered into my mind. But I confess it and I believe that Jesus died for that and I'm going to walk in victory. And you move forward in that moment. So I tell people, repent quickly and holy. And then live in victory. Jesus has come to set us free. And he says, you'll be free indeed. But you're not free when you're in hiding. Any others? I've kind of gone preachy there. Any other reasons that we just don't share the gospel? Fear of ruining a relationship. Fear of ruining a relationship. It's so good. It's so true. Anything else? Yeah, not presenting it well. Or how about if I don't know all the answers? It's all of those things. You know, and this is where I say kind of let's go back to the Gospel Boldness Project because we address, you know, all of those things, you know, in that training. We don't have to have all of the answers. 
And sometimes just our behavior can be so different that they're going to come to us and they're going to ask us why we have hope. But do you see how if we honor Jesus as Lord and holy in our hearts, that this should increase our gospel boldness? Okay, so back to our passage. The person who asked for a reason for the hope that you have within you. Has that ever happened to you, by the way? Has someone come to you and said, I, you know, we've, we, a lot of us have had that happen to us. When they inquire about their faith, how will we, we respond to that? But if that's never happened to you, if that's never happened, if no one's ever said, hey, can we talk? Or I've got questions. The, the deeper question would be, why not? That's just an honest question. Why not? What don't they see in me that they should be seeing in me? Do I get angry at the boss just like everybody else? Do I slander just like everybody else? Do I laugh at the stuff that I shouldn't be laughing at just like everyone else? Do I respond to trials and tribulations and persecutions and suffering just like everybody else? We have to have a holy response. So much of 1 Peter is talking about be holy for he is holy and that holiness will be worked out especially in sufferings and persecutions. And if it's not, people aren't going to come and they're not going to ask. Okay, so going back to our graphic, we see that when Christ is truly set apart as holy and as Lord's, Lord in our hearts, we will not be afraid, we'll be bold, and that boldness will enable us to be willing to speak, be willing to defend the gospel, be willing to share our stories. Several months ago, I remember you know, talking about how sometimes we're, we're confident that we can say Redstone Church or come to church with me or church, church. We can say that word with boldness, right? But how about the name Jesus? And I remember just recognizing, I don't say the name Jesus again, so I'm going to start weaving Jesus into conversations. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus. There's, there's a power in speaking the name of Jesus and it, and it creates this boldness within us. So speaking the name of Jesus out loud, when he's Lord, when he's holy in your heart, when you recognize what he has done, we won't be afraid to speak his name. We won't be afraid to share the hope that is in us. But notice in this verse that we're not only willing to share, speak, defend, and answer questions and give hope, but look what it says about how we're to do so. Okay, let's, let's continue this passage. See it? With gentleness and respect. How many of us have been on campus or downtown and heard someone preaching to the crowds, but doing so with vileness or with anger to the point that they're literally spitting on others? How many converts do you think that that's going to bring? The Lord can use anything. It's the foolishness of what is preached that saves. Okay, so if someone hears the gospel message, even if it's coming from an unbeliever, it's true. Even if it's coming from someone who's vile, they can still be saved because it's the gospel message. It's the foolishness to the world of what is preached that God uses to save people. But for the most part, that's not very effective. Look at this passage from 
Acts 16, 16 through 18. Paul's talking about, he says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Okay? She followed Paul and us crying out. Listen to what she said, because we're going to come back to this. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Look at what she said. Look at what's in red. What was wrong with what she was saying? You see anything wrong with that? There was nothing at all wrong with what she was saying. Then why was Paul so annoyed and why did he rebuke her? And it's this. Sometimes People say the right things, but in the wrong spirit. Just because you're saying the right thing and you're spewing it out on people, that doesn't mean that it's of God. We are to speak to people with gentleness, with respect. The Galatians 5 gives us an overview of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience with people, kindness, there's a word, goodness, faithfulness, and here it is, gentleness and self-control. In other words, this is what Christ produces within us as we abide in Him. He's producing the fruit of His own character through us, and it's Him that we're trying to give to people, not us, not ourselves. So we must be kinder. We must be more gentle, more patient, more respectful, toward those that we are speaking to. So yes, we are to open up our mouths, but when we do so, graphic number four, our words should be laced with gentleness and respect. Not harshness, not a judgmental, condemning demeanor, not talk, 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 and not being willing to listen to them, their struggle, their questions, or whatever it is, but recognizing that we were once there. Paul says, I'm the chief of all sinners. He recognizes, but for the grace of God, I am what I am. Who am I to be looking down at this person who is struggling, who has really hard questions or deep questions or who's had a really bad experience with the church or whatever. Let me just listen to them. Let me listen to them. Let me be gentle with them. Let me be kind with them because they are lost, lonely, confused, and searching. And so once was I. Do you see that? Gentleness and respect. Why? Because Christ is holy and he's Lord in my heart. And it's him living through me, and that is his character. And then he ends this section with the ongoing topic of suffering, which runs from chapter 1 through chapter 5. So let's go back and look at, I'm going to back up to verse number 14, and then we'll hit 16 through 18, because they all fit together. So chapter, or verse number 14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And then fast-forwarding to 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, 
those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus told his disciples over and over that in this world you will be persecuted. And the world hated me, so the world will hate you. Yes, even when you do good, even when you do righteous deeds. He even goes so far in 16.1 to say that at some point, many will kill Christians and in a very warped way, they will think that they are doing the right thing before the sight of God. You, know, you can look at that, John 16, 1. Sometimes our living hope and gospel boldness will bring about fruitful conversations and in gentleness and respect, we'll be able to point to Jesus. But other times, it will be just the opposite. Some people will respond. You see it, go, go look at the book of Acts. Whether it be Peter, whether it be Paul, some people, we want more, we hear it. And they would come to faith. Other people would say, you guys are crazy. And they would try to stone them, or they would stone them, right? You can't determine what the response is, but you can determine whether you open your mouth and speak, and whether I open my mouth and speak, and whether we do so with gentleness and with respect. And some people are going to ridicule us. Some people will laugh at us. You know, someone was talking about either the relationship or how people are going to respond or whatever. What's that going uh, to look like? We will suffer. 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, look at my red word here. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter's calling us to remember what Christ did for us. That he also suffered for us. And by following his example, our last part of the graphic, we can endure persecution. We can persevere through persecution. Go look at the churches that are, are talked about in, in Revelation. And you'll see in each one of them, there was an endurance. There was a perseverance. doesn't mean that it will be taken away from us. But because of what Christ has done, because He is Lord and He is holy in my heart, because I'm understanding and believing this gospel truth, I'll make it through it. I'll make it through. And if I don't, I'll still make it through you know, Revelation you know, 12, the enemy knows that his time is short. And he accuses the brethren day and night. And oftentimes he does that through other people. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They opened up their mouths. But it says that they didn't love their life so much as to shrink from death. We can be at peace even if we are persecuted, no matter how that ends. Persecution is not something we go fishing for like many, I think, of the street evangelists do. But it's something that we don't shy away from either because we're following in Christ's footsteps. He says, I suffered and you will suffer too. 
especially if you're living a holy, righteous life in this world because light shines in darkness and darkness doesn't like that at all. It's always going to be that way. He was hated, so we'll be hated. He was slandered, we will be slandered. Don't run to it, but don't run away from it. Rather, persevere through it. And it goes back to just the, the slide, just looking at the whole thing. Do you see it? You know, Christ is honored as Lord and holy in my heart. Because I get the gospel, fear can be driven away. I can open up my mouth and I can speak the name of Jesus. I'm not afraid to have conversations with individuals. I can do so in a way that doesn't need to be demeaning. It doesn't need to be full of ridicule or, or judgmental or condescending. It can be done with gentleness. And it can be done in respect. And this is where I say it can be relational. This can be an ongoing conversation that may last years before you finally see someone come to faith. But that's, that relationship will never exist, exist if we're condescending to them. But just being gentle and being respectful. And because of what Christ has done, and because we have this Christian worldview lens, we understand what we're called to, even when persecution and slander does come, and suffering does come, we can endure it. Because, and I'm back to the beginning, Christ is honored as Lord and holy in my life. So here's the questions, and these are in your worship guide. i got a couple more blanks if you're filling in the blanks. In closing, that's always a word people love to hear from the preacher. In closing, I'm asking a few important questions for each of us, including yours truly. Number one, is Christ honored as holy and Lord in my heart? That has to be the starting place. Is Christ honored as holy and Lord in my heart? Second question. Am I willing to share and even defend the gospel? Am I willing? But she's my friend, or he's my coworker, or he can be so mean, or she can whatever. Am I willing to share? and defend the gospel. Number three, when I speak of my faith to others, when I do speak of my faith to others, do I do so with gentleness and with respect? With gentleness and with respect. And then lastly, last question, am I truly willing to suffer for the gospel in the same way that the Lord suffered for my sake. The point that we've made over and over and over, because it's all of chapter 2, it's chapter 3, it was the reason behind husbands and wives and workers and, and uh, civil officials and all of those things were talking about not so much the, the structure that was there and the submissiveness that should have been there, but why? Because our response needs to be holy. It needs to be different because people are looking for answers. During COVID, I said last week, people are looking for answers. 
with political upheaval and uncertainty and a divided nation and a divided world. It brings fear and people are looking for answers. We can be bold enough to say that we have the answer. Not one of the answers. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. No one can come to the Father except through me. There's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus is the answer. And if that is true, He must be Lord and holy in our hearts, and we need to live in a way that they would want to come to us to say, I've got questions. And your behavior is different. That's so much of what 1 Peter is talking about. We're following in the Lord's footsteps, but hopefully in a way that people can see it. I like the end. Oops, I should have put that up there for you earlier. So there you go. There's that. Hope you already got those. And then lastly, let's look at the passage one more time, and then we'll spend a little bit of time in prayer. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, the hope for the hope that is in you, yet do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then we'll start next week's sermon on this next verse again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. It's the gospel. Changes everything. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And my guess is that I am not the only one that's convicted by your word this morning. All of us probably need to do from time to time a better job of honoring you as both Lord, Christ, holy in our hearts and recognize that we must abide in the vine so that you can live through us, so that our response to whatever this world gives us will be different. Lord, forgive us when we haven't done so. Challenge us this morning individually. May we each hear from your passage this morning what we need to hear. Just be still before the Lord for a moment. Just pray to God. He hears you. No matter where you're at, He hears you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How are we on time? We're okay. Let's do this. Adam, you got the, the microphone. Let's just open it up if anyone wants to respond. Word of encouragement. You know, those, those types of things. Just brevity is important just so that we can get through uh, the people that would want to share. But who wants to share this morning a response to the passage? Kathy. I wanted to um, just reiterate uh, the 
the order that the passage is written in, and I appreciate you taking um, like verse 14 um, with 15 and 16, or 15 through 18, I guess, mm. about suffering. But I also wanted to reiterate, I'm going to get my text open here real quick, um, just the way that the passage flows. Um, because like for, to, to, to begin, um, verse 14, um, the sentence carries over into mm. verse 16, or verse 15 rather. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but your, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Um, essentially, to me, that, that um, is encouraging us that the holiness is how we stay strong. And honoring Christ as holy strengthens our faith so that we can withstand. Um, and then again, it's the same sentence um, at the end of 15 going into 16. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a, a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Because of our witness with gentleness and respect and not brash arrogance, that's how we're able to not be put to shame. Yeah. That's how our faith is proved to be true. Yeah. We can speak the truth in, like you said, whatever manner we want to, mm but it's most effective when we speak it as Christ did with gentleness and respect. Yeah, amen. Thanks, Kathy. Get Angela in the front and you must see someone else. He sees a hand that I don't see. Ah, very good. Hi, I'm Sarah. Thank you for the sermon. Could you go back to the cycle? Yep. Something... So I was thinking about the relevance in my own life, and it's when I get up every morning and I put Christ at the you know, center, what that fear, when that fear is driven away for me, um, that also, when I think about my enemies, that for me, it's people that, that I obviously have, have animosity towards, but it's also the fear of people that are different than me. Hmm. They think different than me, they act different, they believe different. So... When I overcome that fear, um, it gives me the willingness to to relate to them, to build trust, and to build relationship. Yeah. And and I do that as long as Christ is center and I have my foundation. And then it that is just and then that's where my cycle is. I build trust with those people, and then I'm able to better share my faith. Yeah. Amen. So. Yeah, I love that. You've heard me talk about Angela up here, um, you being uncomfortable for the gospel's sake. And, you know, I remember years ago, oh, we got rest first. Uh, but I, I remember, you know, like at one point realizing, you know, all I've got is like Christians around me and trying to start intentionally rubbing shoulders with people that are not like you, that are completely different from you. It'll completely change your life. It's the best thing that you can do for the gospel. Hey, welcome back, by the way. I Russ haven't and Lori spoken in a long back. time, so I Yes, I know. Need. They've been in California, and they're back, so we're glad you're here. Just a couple of points I wanted to correct you on. No. Yeah, go ahead, Russ. A, uh, we're glad you're back. Now leave again. <laughs> just a couple of application points that might be helpful to somebody. Yes. But um, yeah, one of the directions in which attacks, uh, threats, or the suffering might come from is if we... Uh, take a stand against a, a particular sin that might be being advocated in the, in the name of inclusivity or whatever, whatnot. And uh, again, yeah, I don't believe we should be on a soapbox and be, you know, attacking or making that the our topic of sermons. But 
by speaking out, or there may be times where we'll have to speak out or mm -hmm. take a stand, and we're not to be frightened by, you know, being called haters, yeah. full of hate. We're not to be frightened by being canceled or, or those kind of things. Um, that was one area. And, but we are to direct our conversation away from the argument and towards Christ and mm -hmm. towards his grace, and how that covers that particular sin. And then the other direction in which threats and suffering may come it's like where, what happened to Jesus. He was accused as being a, a drunkard and a, a glutton, uh, breaking the Sabbath, you know, breaking all these religious rules. So also there will be times where we need to stand up for against, you know, that type of religiosity coming at us. And uh, so that's just another area. And again, we're to direct you know, the conversation away from the arguments and toward the grace of Christ, how he gives us freedom. He covers these sins, he gives us freedom. And so yeah. those are just... Yeah, man, thank you. That's good. Um, hopefully I can make sense, but I guess I was struck with uh, verse 17, uh, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. And in light of what we've learned so far about being sojourners and being mm. this holy priesthood and who our true master is. Mm. And in earlier in First Peter talking about we can subject ourselves to these authorities because we know who our master is. And oftentimes when we suffer for doing good, that's coming from man. Like that's coming from other people but when we suffer for doing evil like our ultimate who we are under for that is God and like who do I fear who is my master who is fear in a respectful way yeah, right but just tying this all together of because we are different because we are this holy priesthood suffering for good is isn't anything because it's this level yeah. Versus this level. Right. Yeah. I, I got you. Sense, no, that's good. Thank you, Angela. Anybody else want to share this morning? Michelle. Um, I think as human beings on a natural level, just, uh, you know, surviving in this world, we avoid at all costs risk pain and failure mm -hmm. because on the natural level that is that equates death you know um, that you're not going to survive that's what that's what our brain naturally is wired to say like don't don't do that it will hurt don't do that you might fail and i think what jesus what he empowers us to do is because what he did on the cross is eternal so it's like we have this incredible safety net. And I think as the gospel enters into each part of our hearts, that's why the, the fear is driven away because we don't have to be afraid of pain, risk, or failure, or change. We don't like change because we have to exert um, energy and we, we want to conserve energy because that's how you survive, you know? 
you're a bear in the woods, you eat a lot of food, and then you sleep to conserve energy to survive, right? But he, he gets us out of that survival mode. Mm-hmm. We don't have to live just to survive. We get to live in freedom. And it's this freedom that helps us to overcome the natural tendency of every human being, and we all have it, is to avoid at all costs pain, risk, and failure. And so it's just super exciting to be like, I don't have to be afraid of pain. Yeah, amen. Or risk or failure. Yeah, a couple of uh, weeks ago, I reminded Tyler, my daughter, I was like, you need to go back and read John Piper's Risk is Right, you know? And because that's what Piper, he goes through and shows through Scripture over and over and over, we're Christians. We are to take risks. This is what we do. Yeah, the Spirit can drive away that, that fear. Anyone else before we step back into worship? We've got another Meehan, Carrie Meehan. He's going to try to one-up his dad. He was like, Dad was okay, but I think I can say something more insightful than that. Is this on? Yeah, you're on. I was just thinking about times where maybe I've suffered for doing good, and I couldn't think of very many. Mm. But I could think of times when I suffered for doing wrong, and I could think of a <laughs> lot of times when I suffered for, for no reason, you know, yeah. not doing good or bad, right. you know. And that just made me think, like, well, what does the Bible say about that? And it took me to James 1, um, mm. consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And also, First Peter talks about that mm-hmm. in First Peter 1. And so, um, it's, it's great, like, we're supposed to rejoice if we suffer for doing good, but we're also to consider it pure joy if we just suffer. Yeah. And so that's encouraging as well, because I was like, oh, when do I ever suffer for doing good? You know? Yeah. <laughs> But I can I can still follow the biblical model even if I'm just suffering. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a perseverance for but with both of those. If you're suffering because you're doing good, but also if you're just going through a trial, that's what James is, is talking about. He's he's maturing us. He's making us complete. You know, he's growing us. The sanctification is the word that's used there, and that's a process. And sometimes that's hard. You going to speak to that? You still got the mic? Like you going to say something? This microphone. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you had another thought there. Okay, well, we're stepping back into a time of worship. If Christ is Lord and if he's holy in our hearts, we're sojourners. This is not our world. He's holy, therefore we are to be holy. The world is looking for answers. We have the answer. It is the gospel. Let's just let that settle into our hearts and our beings. And if it is true that Christ gave himself for us, that he loved us so much, that he gave himself for us, that he died for all of your sins and all of my sins, at the very least, even if we mess up in so many other ways, at the very least, we should worship him. We should tell him thank you and tell him we love him and tell him that we need his help and we should worship him. So let's do that the rest of our time this morning. If you will stand.